Good morning, Mr. Schlafly. Good news, it worked. The bad news, we don't know how to get you out. Don't panic. Your associates, Kaylee and Riemann, are on their way. In the meantime, enjoy the eight-dimensional sunrise. I hear it is quite lovely. This has been your wake-up call. Anything else I can do for you this morning? No? Have a wonderful day. The Weekly Report To Mademoiselle Rouge, Viscountess and owner of Hotel Daydream and Reverie Estates. I hope you will enjoy your trip to South Worldpendium. I am making an effort to keep reports as concise as possible, so ideally you won't have a mountain to comb through upon your return. We're coming up on monsoon season, and I know how much you worry about the hotel during those dreadful storms. The fortune peddlers in Dizzying Fair have told me it ought to be a mild season this year. I know you don't like them, but you can't deny they are seldom wrong. At any rate, I have had all of our staff retake their training in flood procedures, evacuation protocols, and summoning rituals in the event of an emergency. Everything will be fine. Security Hotel staff had to break up an argument this morning between the occupant of room 127, a guest named Cynthia, and the moving obelisks of the West. Apparently, the escarpment of obelisks have chosen to rest from their bi-annual migration in the Emerald Marshes to the south, which means they are blocking sunlight to Cynthia's room. As she is three-quarters rotodendrum on her mother's side, Cynthia is not the only part botanical guest to complain about the obelisk's choice of resting place in recent weeks. I've spoken to the head of the migrating obelisks about the issue. He is an imposing fellow made of inky obsidian marbled through with strips of garnet. He towers an easy 300 meters into the sky, blocking out the sun and parting the thunderheads that gather above him. His name is Jerry. I asked him about the possibility of moving their rest stop. He grew rather upset. They had paused their migration last year and many years before in the Emerald Marshes without any problems. Why was it different this time? I tried to explain the complex needs of some of our guests, but he wouldn't hear of it. Ultimately, the conversation ended without any solution. I've dispatched the bellboys to bring UV lamps and white dwarf stars to those guests experiencing photosynthetic withdrawal, but I hope the migration moves on soon, as the UV lamps, if left on too long, tend to damage the wallpaper in our more decorous rooms. Our surveillance contract with the Satori is going to expire next week. We need to decide if we want to renew it with them or look for other security and surveillance providers. While the final decision is yours, as someone who has had to work alongside them for the better part of a decade, I strongly suggest we seek other contractors. I've compiled a short list below. First, a plant-based security system known as Dianea Mushipula. While information on them was a little hard to parse as it's in Vulgate Latin, they have an excellent track record in museum jewelry surveillance. Second, 
While a much smaller firm, Burning Ears Corp may also be a solid choice. Though they are notably flammable, their history in data security and surveillance is solid. They haven't been around as long, but Gerard mentions knowing them from his time as a caterer. He's worked several events with Burning Ears and can vouch for their professionalism. Third and final are Fly on the Wall LLC. Spectacular surveillance work. They don't work in many other areas, but I cannot emphasize enough how impressive their existing work seems to be from all accounts. These are the best options I could find that fit our specific needs. Please let me know your thoughts. Another student has been sighted in the Vigil Grove. Groundskeeping still isn't sure how they're getting in, as there are no universities nearby, the fence is almost 8 meters high, and most of the sculptures will devour anyone who enters without a bouquet of roses. True, many of the students were found carrying lilacs and a copy of The Shadow of the Wind, but that still doesn't explain how they keep getting in. We've tried asking them, but they seem unable to see us, and when anyone draws near, they vanish in a cloud of iambic pentameter whispers. We're going to try lining the perimeter of the grove with forsaken lace. It worked with the guitar player apparitions a few years ago, and may be enough to deter these phantom students as well. There seems to be a terrible pickpocket on the loose. They haven't done too much damage yet, but our guests are growing anxious about their valuables. The pickpocket has stolen only a few items so far, mostly corners, keyholes, and a few people's shadows. But if we don't find him, the woodchucks retreat staying on basement floor 2705 say they will check out early. They do not seem happy. While not impossible, we needed a good review from them for our next spring when we were planning to break into the marmot market. A strong testimonial was crucial to our publicity strategy. If we want to be the ones who helm the advent of spring, we need shadows for our groundhog clientele. While we'll certainly have caught the pickpocket by then, we can't afford to leave a bad taste with our marmot guests this season. Achilles Security and Forbidden Protections LLC has already sent over their best Shadowcatcher. I admit, he looked a bit young for a security consultant, but beneath that youthful exterior was a hardened veteran of the field. His entourage of investigators seemed to have a strong track record of finding lost things as well. Out of curiosity, I asked them how ones so young got into this profession. They all got a far-off look in their eyes. They said they were not young, but old, terribly old. They'd grown up in a space between two stars, to which the only path lay amidst a long night's journey into day. In that place their bodies never aged. How were they so good at finding lost things? Because as boys they had lost themselves in that place. Once you have found yourself, they said, finding anything else is easy. They split up to search the hotel, a haunting pan-flute melody following them as they began their hunt for the pickpocket. The purple lounge chair thinks they may be dealing with post-traumatic stress. What happened to those lost boys? I, for one, am afraid to know. Groundskeeping Update
Still no signs of Latrice anywhere. I asked Ferdinand and Jacques, or more accurately, Ferdinada and Jacqueline, they have since corrected me on their names, if they had heard anything from the Niv community about this. They said no, but a look passed between them I cannot quite describe. Furtive might be the nearest adjective for it. I thought about pushing the issue more, but didn't want to put them in an awkward place. Ever since their bifurcation into a signifier object and a signified one, they have had enough to deal with. Maintenance We are having some trouble removing the coins from the fountain in the center of Labyrinth Park. I got a call from the Minotaur earlier in the week asking me to send someone from maintenance down to fix the fountain. She insisted they have a decent understanding of metallurgy. I know she wouldn't ask for it unless the fountain was in serious need of repair, which was not exactly true. The fountain, as it turned out, was fine, but the wishing coins at the bottom were refusing to go. A veritable fortune had piled up, and as is custom, once it reaches the waterline, we bag the money and send it to Mrs. Dwyer's home for existentially challenged objects. By the way, I took the liberty of checking in with that one fellow, the coat rack named George you met on our last visit. He is doing much better, though Mrs. Dwyer confided in me that she does not think he will ever be sentient enough to live on his own, poor fellow. Anyway, the coins stubbornly refused to leave, as not all the wishes they'd been used for had been granted yet. I had to get Mugabe down from legal to kindly explain to them that the Statute of Exaltations only stands for seven years, after which all the wishes, last requests, furative pleas, heartfelt inquiries, and prayers of last resort are deemed null and void. I am sorry to say that they went weeping and crying by the shovelful into the bags. I hope Mrs. Dwyer can be of some help to them. It is that time of year. All the balls in our point pens are getting replaced this Thursday. Though you may notice the line item for this expense is a bit more than last year. Emmett told me that the Pissmeyer company has fallen on hard times since their last season. There just is not as much work for ants as there used to be. The grasshopper community does not depend on them as much for their produce as they once did. Emmett told me they have switched to an urban agricultural model. The grasshoppers say it is more sustainable, but that does mean less agricultural jobs for the Formicidae. So they have sunk more resources into their industrial sector. Changing the ballpoint pens is not hard, but it is only seasonal work and does not provide a lot of reliable income for Pissmeyer. I feel terrible about it. I know money is not a thing we deal with here as our guests do not pay for our services, but I am wondering if we could throw some more business their way. Perhaps we could upgrade all of our writing utensils to pens, or even just our current 0.7mm tips to something more posh like 0.4mm, or even something as extra as 028 Yes, we do not need that much precision for most of our writing needs, but our gene guests may appreciate it. They always like a nice bit of fine print in our lease agreements with them, and some hair-width pen tips could go a long way to improving their stay experience with us. Please, let me know your thoughts. 
floors 789 to 807 will need to be fumigated. An unaware guest brought a zigzag dress with her in her luggage, which, upon opening her suitcase, immediately infested the wallpaper with the pattern. It might have stayed in the room if the guest had not put on the dress and went to a party at the Neon Hour Club on floor 1000. The zigzags quickly spread to everyone else's wardrobe, ruining several good suits, cocktail dresses, cloaks, panniers, and handbucks, along with the entire decor. I have asked the team in marketing to put the fashion trend warnings in bigger font in our brochures. Sometimes I wonder if anyone even bothers to read those. Well, at least this time, it was not polka dots. Monsoon update. From up here, I can see the storm front building over the Mandelbrot Mountains. The clouds are titanic vortexes, eddies of wind and water and light towering into the sky until they flatten at the top, anvils heavy with rain. Fierce, to be sure, but nothing like the storm of 6012. You remember that frightful tempest? I thought the gale would rip the windows right out of the inn's walls. I did not sleep a wink that night for fear of the storm. And I admit, I was not a little annoyed to see you so well rested the following morning. Do you remember the countryside afterwards? Branches blown everywhere, leaves blasted into every crevice. The grass stayed flattened from the wind all that day and into the next. I remember the sense that the world had curled into a ball during that storm, and only slowly began to unfurl. The villagers were awfully frightened, though more of us or the storm I cannot recall. You probably did not help matters roaring like that every time we took off from somewhere during that trip, though I must confess, it was good to see you in such good spirits again after leaving Daraguru. Such good memories. Obelisk update. The moving obelisks of the West are truly starting to test my patience. I took the liberty of searching for another place to accommodate them even at the hotel's expense and found a lovely pasture not half an hour from the Emerald Marshes. The owner, a man named Finlewindle, a self-described shepherd with an eye patch, though I saw no sheep about, was very understanding, and, despite approaching him on such short notice, gave me a reduced rate. We will need to negotiate some more goats from Takam, the Azerbaijani king of the goats, next quarter as a result. This man, Findlewindel, was very particular about his form of payment. Anyway, I trudged out to the marshes to deliver the good news myself, but was denied an audience with Jerry. I could see him from where I stood, and yet his secretary assured me he was too busy to talk. I tried to leave the details of Finn the Windle's pasture with her, but her terse response gave me little hope they would accept my offer. I practically stomped my way back to the hotel, utterly frustrated. Guest Complaints The Cosmos called. Apparently they got locked out of their room again. They were so flustered, it was adorable. 
I do not know why they feel the need to be so secretive about reserving a room. Everyone knows they and that fellow Jerome are seeing each other, but young love is touch and go, I suppose. I had to write an apology letter to McKenna this morning. Housekeeping accidentally cleaned out her fireplace earlier. I keep forgetting to tell them to leave the ashes in her room alone. She came up to me still smelling of garbage from having been reborn in the dumpster, though she took it much better than I would have expected. I was so embarrassed. McKenna's travel blog is such a popular read, I am shocked she has not denounced us to her readers already. Honestly, it is a miracle our Phoenix clientele still likes staying with us at all. The gentlewoman in room 498201X is complaining about the infomercials on her television again. I do not know what to tell her at this point. I cannot do anything about the programming. What is on, is on. They may last several hours, but those infomercials do end at some point, and there is only so many of them on in a day. I am very tempted to tell her to go outside or do something else. There are equally exciting things to do as watch television, watch grass grow in the statue garden, or the Aku Cemetery. For goodness sake, the bellboys give the groundskeeping shed a new coat of paint to let dry every day as part of our sloth entertainment package. At any rate, <sighs> it does take her five full days to reach the front desk to make a complaint, so I at least get some reprieve. Logistics. An entire shipment of elven cheese was spoiled while en route. We needed our stock resupplied by this afternoon as His Royal Highness, the Crown Mouse of Yeslovia, and his family are due to arrive tomorrow. Apparently, there was a holdup at the docks as the customs officer assigned to our shipment had taken a solemn vow of non-dairy participation. He could not inspect the cheese without impinging on his sacred obligations. As a result, it took an additional day and a half to locate another customs official from the next port over who had not taken the same vow. The local brotherhood of miscellaneous observances seems to be doing a lot of recruiting lately. As a result, the entire shipment went bad, and we had to feed it to the local Kamapa. A total waste. Monsoon update. The storm is descending fast. I, I did not think it would reach us until well after dark, but even as I write this, it lumbers closer and closer. I tuned in to the local wolf howls, and they have issued a severe lightning warning. I have already sent two of the bellboys to get all the staff and those on the hotel grounds indoors. That storm is ferocious, though. One of the bellboys is knocking. I must go. Update. 
we managed to get everyone inside just before the storm wall hit. The sides of the hotel shuddered as rain and wind buffeted the outside. The entire escarpment of obelisks ran here ahead of the storm, but the lobby doors had already been locked to keep the growing wind from slamming them open. That is what I was called down for. The obelisks and some of the bellboys had gotten into a shouting match from either side of the lobby door glass. I eventually managed to quiet them down, but then Jerry stepped up. He looked me in the eye. Or at least I think he did. I have always had trouble discerning the eye line for petrified beings, but his look seemed to say one thing. Please. I admit, I was tempted to walk away. I had tried to extend the good hand earlier and had had it slapped aside. I watched them all huddled outside the lobby doors for a solid minute, not saying anything. But I couldn't turn them away into the storm. And so, admittingly and rather begrudgingly, I invited them inside. The atmosphere was rather dreary, all the obelisks looming about the lobby, but they were all safe. The storm is over now, and the obelisks have left. Not even a thank you. I did not expect one, but it would have been nice. I could see their procession moving to the west from my office. One as tall as the sky itself pauses. He almost looks back to try to say something with his sudden stillness. The escarpment shifts around him as he seems to think for a moment. But no apology. No kind words of thanks, not so much as a smile in gratitude escapes him, as he and the others stride off into the west. We will see them again in winter when they make the return trip. Thankfully, that is a ways away. Report submitted by yours respectfully, Lionel Outuary, Head Concierge and Manager for Hotel Daydream. Hotel Daydream was voiced and written by Stephen Kausler. Our theme music was written by John Divin. Additional music in this episode was by Sergei Quadrado, Black Pie Beats, Nezrality, Alicia Davina, Less FM, Coma Studio, Music Unlimited, and Monday Hopes. You can find the links to these artists in the show notes. Transcripts for each episode can be found on the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash hotel daydream, or follow the link down in the show notes. If you have enjoyed the show, consider reserving a room with us on our Patreon. Guests at the hotel get access to all sorts of things, including shout-outs at the end of each episode. Today, the hotel would like to recognize Danny the Spoon Lord, Gus Sanchez, Maggie B, Asher Klein, and Danny Denise. Thank you for supporting the hotel. I hope you have enjoyed your stay, and thank you for listening. <laughs>